Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 67, the one about why Twitter is good, SEO tips, answering questions to create content, and the film Pixels. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are here, as always, to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And, as always, I am joined by my co-host, who is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio Video Podcast. Please welcome Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much. And as I've said many times before, but it's true, this is a highlight of my week time with the man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the rockdoll video series i give you monsieur roger edwards well pascal this is episode 67 67 mm. and we have got an absolute treat to talk about later on today in film marketing we are going to be talking about a film called pixels now if you are a child of the 80s you will have loved this film because it's all about retro video games now I, I, i'm so enthusiastic about this film pascal i could just start talking about it now but we will leave it till later on and it's been a really good week as well for people giving us a bit of a shout out on the socials and and we really do appreciate it when people do give us a little bit of a shout out on the socials so we'd like to say thank you to claire downham to michelle MacArthur morgan lauren lock padden and jonathan wolf and the people at vocal video and of course david warsfold who was one of our creator shout outs from last week so isn't it great when we get these shout outs pascal i, I it makes me feel that we're we're doing something good oh you're absolutely right and and we've said it before you know we plan this we research we record it it's edited a lot of work that goes into it and i'm not saying that from time to time we we doubt ourselves but we are very very keen to get it right for you and to get those messages this week has been just wonderful. Yeah, and and please don't be afraid of, to tell us what you think and tell us what you'd like to hear about. Uh, it's your show as much as it is ours. We, if you want us to talk about a particular piece of tech or you want us to review a particular film, get in touch. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but Pascal, shall we get on with this week's show? Shall we go straight into In the News? And we begin with Vodafone, Roger. Their digital channels accounted for a third of their UK sales in its third quarter. And Vodafone secured 152,000 new contracts customers during the period according to the brand's latest trading update. Marks & Spencer has reached a confidential deal with Aldi that resolves an ongoing legal dispute over a claimed intellectual property infringement. It's understood that Aldi's Cuthbert the Caterpillar Cake, which M&S said was based on its Colin the Caterpillar Cake, will not appear in the same form again. Right, well, Decathlons, the world's largest retailer of sporting goods, has launched its first UK rental collection. Curated to appeal to UK consumers while returning to the ski slopes, items include ski wear and outerwear gear. Plant-based milk and snack brand Rebel Kitchen is to use February dairy this month when the dairy industry and anti-vegan campaigners seek to fight back against the growth in plant-based diets to launch a new crowdfunding campaign. Diageo is investing £73 million in the London-based Guinness microbrewery in Covent Garden. The Old Brewer's Yard is a third venue open recently, follows the launch of the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin and, Roger, Johnny Walker, Princess Street in Edinburgh. 
Yeah, absolutely incredible experience, so I believe. And the New York Times has bought the word game Wordle for an undisclosed seven-figure sum. The simple game, which releases one word a day, was created by software engineer Josh Wardle, who described its success as a little overwhelming. According to a global report by Deloitte, women hold just 30% of board seats in the UK compared to 43.2 in France, 44.2 in Norway and 36.6 in Italy. Marks & Spencer again has launched live shopping on its e-commerce website, a shoppable live broadcast series in which customers can hear about a product range, pose questions to MS experts and buy products as they watch. Wow. So Pascal. You mentioned, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, this game called Wordle. Um, and it's absolutely taken the world by storm. I mean, there can't be a, a minute goes by when I don't see somebody posting a picture <laughs> of Wordle on, on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that. I have to say I've tried to avoid it because I didn't want to give up so much time and it does seem to take a lot of time from people so what do you think about this game being sold for a lot of money do you know there's two things comes to mind i think that this is genius on your part to talk about wordle a simple game the day we're talking about pixels a movie about retro gaming yeah. and and to me it's just that you know the, the genius is in the simplicity essentially it's it's a word search uh, created online which was some element of um, social because you share your score, you invite your friends and family to have a bit of a, of a bit of a competition, and I don't know. To me, you know, it's it's just that success story, that rags to riches story that it's just very very endearing, and but also, you know, for me, it's this idea. The New York Times didn't wait, you know, they they didn't wait for maybe the game to have another year or two of existence. They went for it because they saw the potential of an, their own digital audience playing Word, or as opposed to, of course, those with the paper version playing the normal crosswords. Yeah. Now, it's interesting So say I did have a go this week, and obviously the way it works is you've, you've got to guess a five-letter word. So you put a, a word in, and then it will give you a green square if you've got the right letter in the right place, and you'll get a yellow square if you get the right letter but not in the right place, and, and you've got to work out what the word is by using those clues. It reminded me of a very old I mean, we're talking about retro games today, so here we go. A, a game called Mastermind. Oh, I don't know yeah. whether you remember it. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. In, that was back in the eight, 70s and 80s. And that was a similar sort of thing where you had to guess a series of coloured pegs. And the person who was setting the coloured pegs up behind a shield, so you could, obviously couldn't see them, would give you a, a black pin for every peg that was the right colour in the right place and a white peg for every colour that was right but in the wrong place. And I thought, oh, I mean, it's it's probably very unlikely that this guy has ever even heard of Mastermind, but there was a similarity there which I thought, oh, that's interesting. Do you know the other one? Did you have a game? Is it Was it called Boggle? Where you Boggle, had yes. uh, a box with um, dice, but mm -hmm. they didn't have none of this. They had letters. You would shake the box then you had to create words. So I think you're right. This is a cross between Mastermind and Boggle, potentially created mm. by someone that wasn't around when those games existed. <laughs> yeah. And turning now to caterpillars, mm. uh, edible caterpillars, caterpillar cakes, Cuthbert the caterpillar and Colin the caterpillar. Now, it's interesting that uh, Aldi has decided to settle out of court, presumably for 
potentially, allegedly copying Marks and Spencer's Caterpillar. Just goes to show the reason I picked this as, an, as an, a news item to talk about was that I think you've mentioned it before. Sometimes people copy our content, don't they, on the internet? You know, you might put up an article and somebody say, oh, I've seen that article written somewhere else. And, it, and it's quite obvious that somebody has literally stolen your intellectual uh, intellectual property. And I guess that in this world that we live in now, it is very hard to prevent that from happening. What for me is interesting is you've got to ask the question about all this motivation because the shape was very similar and they even went for you know a, a name starting with the letter C. So you had Colin the Caterpillar, which was maybe the original, and you have Cuthbert. I mean, there was no attempt very, very much for <laughs> distanciation. So... Uh, you know, was it um, a PR stunt gone wrong? Was it all to do with um, coverage in the media? It's a tricky one, but it, it is resolved. And and I think, um, as far as the consumers are concerned, uh, they, they don't care. If you are a loyal MS shopper, it's not going to dissuade you to buy Colin and vice versa. No, maybe they should have been a little bit more creative and they Quite. should have created something called Colin the Butterfly or something like that, which is what I'd would have happened after it turned into a butterfly from a caterpillar. And and I guess the final one I wanted to just home in on was this Deloitte report, which says that women hold 30% of board seats in the UK, whereas in Europe, um, it seems to be a lot higher. Why do you think that is? So I think it's cultural, um, mm. and that's going to be my kind of um, – guess you know this is not data that I've, that I've searched but culturally in and around this idea of family the place mm -hmm. of women and that their contribution i think there's an element where women taking lesser career break in the uk will report back to me and others it's much much harder to get back to where mm -hmm. you were um i think th that said i think across you know europe there's still the disconnect between salaries so you know a, a man holding the same positions as a woman would be would be paid more. And but what what I will say is that overall what is happening in the UK is more women entrepreneurs saying, well, mm -hmm. I'm not standing for that and I'm going to launch my own business. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've noticed um, there's been, you know, I, I have quite a, a, a good connection with the financial services industry in the UK, always have done, uh, although I don't work in the financial services industry as much as I used to. But I have noticed recently a lot of uh, female appointments to boards. So maybe mm. the financial services industry is finally contributing towards this 30%. So it's definitely happening. But I was quite surprised how low we were compared to Europe. It is low, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, Pascal, some interesting stuff there again. I was tempted to talk about Rebel Kitchen and Februdary, but I decided that was <laughs> really hard to pronounce, so I thought maybe we wouldn't go there. So let's move on from the news to one of the best parts of the show. It's always one of my favourites, and that is the content spotlights. <laughs> In this part of the show, Pascal and I surprise each other with a piece of content that we've discovered. It could be an article, it could be a video, it could be a podcast, it could be anything really. So Pascal, what is your content spotlight this week? So this week it's a video, and this is our kind of yearly ritual, Roger, to look back at SEO with our good friend Cyrus Shepard from Moz.com. So this year, Cyrus has published a video which has been transcribed on the Moz.com blog, 22 smart Google SEO tips for 
2022. Of course, you have to get 22 in there. So we do this once a year, don't we? We look back at some of the kind of um, disciplines of marketing and digital. You know that SEO is how I began as a trainer and as a consultant. And whilst I don't do it as much as I used to, I'd like to go back to it, just, you know, that kind of uh, little ritual that we have. So... Mm -hmm. This video and this article is split into different categories in terms of what to do this year to improve, obviously, your ranking and traffic via search engine results, primarily Google, of course. So we've got on-page SEO. Then we've got off-page or what is called link building tips for 2022. We've got final Google SEO tips. We've got SEO career tips as well. And we have final advice from Cyrus making 22. What I'm going to do, just for a bit of fun, but also to kind of tease people, to encourage them to watch the video, I'm going to go through all 22 reasonably fast, and then I'm going to pick three that I think, frankly, we should all be doing. And what I like about Cyrus is a bit of a uh, kind of tough love done with immense amount of charm. So on page ACO, A-B testing, we should gather more data by doing different uh, attempts. Author page is a very important one. I'm going to come back to that. Yes, people have been whinging that Google has been rewriting your meta titles. Stop whinging and learn from what they're doing. Cyrus says to nuke the fluff on your content as well, particularly for the high uh, kind of traffic uh, pages. Look into FAQ skimmer. If you're busy answering questions, you're missing out on traffic. If you don't use the schema markup, if you're using navigation such as tabbed content and what they call faceted navigation, like product list and drop-down menus, be careful you could be missing out on traffic as well. That's on page. Link building, one that we mentioned last year, Roger, internal link optimization. You know, slap on the hand, we don't do enough of you know link internally. Deep linking, don't just link at the URL or web page address stage, link within the, the content as well. We're going to come back to this one, but high ROI link building. If you have an online tool, if you have a free PDF, if you have a free course and so on, you've got to optimize that page better with links as well. Reduce redirect links where possible. And if, you're, if you run a review website or one with affiliate links, Google has released a new guideline. You need to check it out. We're going to move on to Google SEO tips for 2022. Reputation research. What are others saying about you? Google is looking for reference to you as an individual, looking at expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. Speed matters in terms of the upload, but not as much as we thought. So there's been a lot of people getting overexcited about what they call the core web vitals. And as always, it's not that big a deal after all. More importantly, there's been a lot of people talking about accelerated mobile pages. Remember the infamous AMPs? Yeah. Well, frankly, we can all move on from that. Good. Next thing you can look into in terms of Google SEO tips for this year, Google Discover. Phone users get recommendations from Google. There's been articles about how to be listed on Google Discover. Funny enough, go and check it out for yourself. The one I want to go back to in a moment, Roger, local SEO. Have you checked your entry on Google Maps, now called Google Business Profile, and are you in the right categories? Because if you're not, you're missing out on traffic. Finally, review your favicon. Is a favicon attention-grabbing attention enough? Does it need a redesign and rethink this year? I'm going to quickly close on SEO career tips. Learn Google Analytics 4. GA4, as it's called, is a new dashboard. And if you want to work in SEO and marketing, you need to know more about it. Attend more virtual conferences. Yes, Cyrus, we agree, Roger and I. And because you know of the low price entry, you can learn more this year and travel less. And if you are a consultancy, 
charge more to, to essentially move away from all the cowboys out there. <laughs> Final tip from Cyrus. I'm going to read actually what he said. Be the last click. When they click to your site, they found what they were looking for and stay there. Give Google no excuse to not rank you number one in the search results. Okay, mm. so I want to go back to author page. So this is an interesting one. What Cyrus is saying is that typically when you're a guest on a podcast, Roger, or when you are a um, contributor to an article and so on, the, the habit of the, the host, shall we say, is to link back to your website. The recommendation actually to link back to your author page. So the page that talks about you, the individual, that also respect the schema marker, which we can all research that easy to do. Because it's actually playing to this idea of authority, of expertise, and um, trustworthiness. That's an interesting one, isn't it? To try and educate our wonderful host that we would rather be linked to the um, page about um, Roger Edwards than the actual website URL. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Not something I've thought of. No, me neither. I'm going to do that. If Back to this idea of the star content on the website. If you have an online tool, if you have a free PDF, a video, anything like this, to actually get more links to that as well, as opposed to just you know, the, um, the, the website URL. And finally, the kind of secret weapon for small businesses you know, on Google Maps or Google Business Profile, this idea of at least once or twice a year to go back to make sure that the categories are right, that you shouldn't change the keyword, that you should upload the pictures, and almost look after your entry as you would your own website. So these are the three things that I'm taking away from that. I mean, what's great about this video and, and the article that goes with it is that it proves that SEO isn't a black art, mm. and a lot of people promote it as being a black art, don't they? And I know that back in the back in the day, there was quite a lot of almost um, fraudulent things happening right. in the SEO world, and I think we've probably moved on from that now. But this does prove that if you are talking to an agency about SEO, they should be able to keep it simple for you. And if they start bamboozling you with SEO jargon and SEO gobbledygook, then you're probably not going to want to work with them. And this article, to me, just proves that there's a lot that needs doing, but actually it's all quite simple to do. You've just got to do it. I would agree. When I started in SEO, to me it was logical, I suppose because I came from the world of retro gaming where we used to program our own stuff, if you remember fondly, Roger. It was logical. Mm. It was step by step. What I like about it, I think you're right, is what Cyrus has done is given you almost the agenda of a meeting with your agency to talk it through mm. step by step. So that was the kind of um, start of the uh, SEO you know, kind of segment. Uh, but what about you? What have you chosen for Content Spotlights? I've got an article this week from a website I've not come across before. It's called makeuseof.com. And the title of the article is Nine Reasons Why Twitter is Actually Good. Okay. And it's, uh, it's written by a guy called Brad R. Edwards. So share um, part of the name with, with Brad. Now, this is interesting because Twitter has always been and still is my favorite social media channel. Uh, but I do think that Twitter... Uh, admittedly, uh, amongst other social media channels, has come in for a lot of flack over the last couple of years, especially because it can be quite a polarizing um, social media channel. I've heard some people describe it as a cesspit, and and you know it, it, there's a lot of political stuff on there that you probably don't want to get involved with, and and you know during the pandemic 
people would argue that it's it's been used to spread lies about vaccines and, and this, that and the other. And, and for that reason, I have heard a lot of people say, no, it's time to give Twitter up. I'm getting off Twitter. But it's like everything, you know, there are good and bad in, in all things. And you've got to be personally responsible for how you root out the bad stuff. And you can block it, you can ignore it and move on. But this article, I could have written it myself because it absolutely sums up to me why Twitter is actually good. And like you, I will haven't got 22 things to talk about, but I will talk about very quickly the nine reasons. So the first thing is Twitter is user-friendly. And I agree, it's still, still the simplest of the social media channels. You know, it's even simpler than the likes of TikTok and, uh, and Snapchat, because if you think about it, those platforms require you to do all sorts of thing, tricky things with video. Twitter, in its basic form, is simply type in some words up to a character limit of 280 characters. The second one, you can follow the latest news. You know, you can find news as it breaks. Um, you know, you can actually get news on Twitter faster than some of the media sites can put it up faster than Sky, faster than CNN. Um, and as long as it's a verifiable source, of course, it is a great place to get news. It allows you to be part of communities by using hashtags, by creating lists, by by joining in with people who have uh, similar outlooks to you. And this is um, incredible. Number four, Twitter is a great source for funny content. And it is, isn't it? People post memes, they post GIFs, they post jokes. You know, there's uh, there's people who will post the joke of the day and, and I actually look forward to that, I have a good little titter to myself every morning. Number five, Twitter has content for all age groups. You know, you could argue that TikTok and uh, Snapchat are aimed at younger people. Facebook, I guess, you could argue is is a, aimed at people our age with families, et cetera, et cetera. But Twitter really transcends all age groups. You know, you can find good content and you can engage with people of your own age on Twitter. Number six, you can learn about new places and cultures. Um, you know, you can even now get tweets in all sorts of different languages. So you could find out about things happening in other countries and even tr try to learn the language as you're doing that. I think it's so good. And number seven, you can learn niche skills. You know, there are people who are posting good content that can teach you how to do things. SEO, for example, is one thing that you can learn about content marketing, anything, any industry. There are people on there posting content that you can learn from. And number eight, it's a place where you can showcase your talents. Because, of course, now you can do an audio post if you want. You can do a video post if you want, up to two and a half minutes, as well as the basic text quote. I mean, you've got everything you need on Twitter. And it is a good place, number nine, to establish yourself as a professional authority, as a thought leader, as an expert. So I think, I mean, those nine reasons, I agree with all of them, Pascal. And I wanted to do this content spotlight today just to remind people that whatever you might think about Twitter, and yes, there have been some nasty things happening over the last couple of years, but they've been happening everywhere. It's our responsibility as individuals to weed out that nastiness. 
But the actual basic platform of Twitter is wonderfully simple and wonderfully engaging. So great article, Brad. Thanks very much for writing it. Indeed, and thank you for bringing it to our attention. I didn't know about this article. And what's interesting, Roger, when you read out the title, you said nine reasons why Twitter is actually good. I was kind of supposed, you know, my, my own mistake, expecting some really uh, convoluted, you know, sometimes stretched on you know, business cases and, and something that's going to really... And those nine reasons are so incredibly simple that they are in their own right very powerful. And I, I would agree. I think what Twitter's done well despite some time, you know, the, the press release about lack of revenue and this and the other and some of the things I went on with the CEO, Jack Dorsey, they've really resisted temptation that we've seen on the platform like Facebook and the others of forever adding features and, and stuff that no one's asked for to essentially overcomplicate and make the platform more bloated. It remained at heart a micro-blogging platform. We have, welcome, of course, live video and live audio, you and I, but ultimately, I would agree, it's a wonderful place to receive those messages as intended all those years ago and to feel connected as well as you know gathering information i mean uh i, I like it a lot you know actually it's not at all i was expecting to of the nine reasons but it, it, i think it makes it makes it an even stronger case for if you are new to social media i think twitter is probably the one to begin with to understand mm -hmm. the etiquette and all, all those things mm -hmm. But no surprise, don't be surprised if you stick at it as long as Roger and I have. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, Twitter has a really good mobile phone and tablet app to go with it. And talking of apps, shall we move on to our next section of the show, which is marketing tech and apps. In this section of the show, Pascal and I wow each other with tech that we've discovered over the course of the last week. So, Pascal, what joys have you found this week? So, I want to talk about visual marketing, creating graphics, you know, for your social media efforts as well as maybe your presentations and more. Do you remember or know a company called Vistaprint? Mm. Now, they actually did very well about 10 years ago, even longer. They launched themselves as the kind of companion of entrepreneurs and small businesses. And you could order pretty much uh, all your stationery. You could even order T-shirts and caps and so on with your brand. Well, I didn't know this, but Vistaprint has also, let's call it an alternative to Canva called Vistacreate. Uh, uh. You can find it on create.vista.com. So you know that it's definitely part of the master brand. And I was so surprised, I thought I would have a look. Plus, I had just you know, this kind of fond memory of using Vistaprint all those years ago for my very first business cards before I could afford the services of a graphic designer. And that's why they're there for, but they do an amazing job. Now, Vistacreate, at first, does look a lot like Canva. And I was thinking, is it maybe another Colin and Cuthbert Caterpillar thing going on here? <laughs> and I've done, I've done the research for viewers and listeners, and I will say, as far as I can tell, the visuals, the templates, and photography are very different to Canva. So it is a true alternative. It is a fraction easier to use, I would say. I like the navigations, very visually led. You know, if you choose a template, you actually see them uh, as little graphics, and you can click on them and then move on to selecting, as you do on Canva, photos, videos, and more. I was thinking, well, maybe... If you're doing something and want to be a bit different and you can tell that the same you know kind of uh, layouts and and kind of typefaces coming back over and over again you know i've mentioned before how now we can spot pixels and unsplash content too easily maybe vista create should be worth your consideration now the second one 
I was creating, I went on a course to learn how to do more with Ecamm Live, my live streaming software. I was learning about using overlays and I needed to find some PNG, some graphics with no background, which is, you know, was part of the, the homework I was given by the tutor. And again, randomly, I discovered pngfind.com where they are all PNGs done by real graphic designers, so not really professionals, but there is no background. So they are transparent PNGs, so to speak. And they have a library now of over 750,000 free PNGs that you can search using keywords and categories. So I was able to find what I was looking for, um, background free background free PNGs of mobile phones and, and laptops, so that I could put myself inside the laptop screen and do all sort of um, interesting things. So PNG find for, I would say, your presentation probably, live as well as um, you know on stage, and this to create, just to have something a bit different to Canva. That's really interesting. I always like to see what the alternatives are because, as you say, you know, Canva is phenomenal. I use Canva pretty much every day, but quite a lot of other people use it as well. And as you say, unless you're careful, you can end up inadvertently looking similar to everybody else. So sometimes it is worth checking out some of these alternatives, especially, as you say, if they are really different. Now, Pascal, as you know... With content marketing, one of the ways of becoming inspired about the content that you actually produce is to answer the questions that people are asking about your product or about your service. In fact, it's probably one of the fundamentals of content marketing, isn't it? Is it answering the questions that customers have about what you do? And But even then, I think sometimes we could probably forget that there are hundreds of different questions that people could ask and some of those questions might we might deem them to be too simple and remember one of the my key principles that I always teach people is that actually assume your customer knows nothing and therefore no question is too simple because you should really answer even the most simple questions and here's a couple of um, resources which will probably be known to everybody but I thought I would bring them back to the table because I do think that they are worthwhile having a look at. The first is called Answer the Public and this is a source purely for questions and all you do is you go on to answerthepublic.com and you type in a word or a phrase so if you're in, if you're a restaurant or, or, a, or you make cupcakes or something like that or you're a marketing consultant you just put in the name of your product, the name of your service, and it will give you an absolute shed load, an absolute shed load of questions that you can then turn into content. And every one of those questions that it asks, and, and Pascal, I'm seriously talking about hundreds of questions here, not just five or six, hundreds of questions. Every one of those questions, the answers to those questions could be a podcast could be an article, could be a blog, could be a vlog, could be a tweet, and it will give you so much inspiration. The other source of interesting questions, but also answers as well, is Quora. Now, this is a site that I sort of, again, have a bit of a love-hate relationship with. I think there can, there's, some, there's some quite toxic stuff on Quora as well. Um, same accusation that's been leveled at Twitter, perhaps. But like I say, you can filter out all that negative stuff. What I like about Quora is, again, you can search for the questions that people are asking, and that can 
A, give you the inspiration to create some content to answer those questions. But what I also think about that I like about Quora is because you can actually see the answers that other people have given, you can then just mold your answer to maybe give a little bit more or to give a little bit of a different twist on it. So rather than giving the stock answer that somebody's already given, you give them something just a little bit different. Do you know what I like about it is what you're telling us is that the information you're getting either from out of the public or you did from Quora will come from real, forgive me, human beings as opposed mm -hmm. to some mm -hmm. kind of strange platform where you're going to be, be given misleading information because that's not what people think. It's the machine behind the scenes that is data crunching and giving you some kind of false false senses. And and I th I'm wondering, so are you saying that we could find the question on enter the public and then verify the mood and, and you know, the, the threads on Quora? Yeah, absolutely right. So you could take the questions that answer the public generate and then type them in as a search term into Quora. And it's likely that somebody will have answered that question. And then you can ha see how they've answered it and decide whether you could make it make a better answer. And then you can use Vista Create to um, do a nice visual to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, and you could put a, a ping with no background into that visual. And there you go. All of our marketing tech and apps can help you do all of these things. Pascal, another great set of tech to share. So thanks very much for doing that. Now it's time to set the controls of the TARDIS, fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls. Let's head ourselves back in time because the next section of the show is This Week in History. And in 1923, Howard Carter opens the inner burial chamber of Egyptian pharaohs to Tunkhamun's tombs and find the infamous sarcophagus. In 1983, the last episode of MASH, Goodbye, Farewell and Amen, aired on CBS to a record 125 million viewers. The two-and-a-half-hour episode closed the series' 11th and final season and became the most watched television episode in the United States. And in 2005, the now ubiquitous video sharing site YouTube is launched. Experts agree that few websites have had such an immediate impact on our usage of the internet. Less than two years after its launch, Google paid $1.65 billion to purchase it. And on the 13th of February 2012, the first World Radio Day is celebrated on the anniversary of the day in 1946 that United Nations Radio was established. The celebration of World Radio Day recognises that radio is the most widely consumed medium, a powerful communications tool, whilst also being a low-cost medium. Wow. Yeah, ra ra radio definitely gets um, gets forgotten about, doesn't it? It's it's just ubiquitous. It's just there all the time. But we are going to talk today, Pascal, about the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb. And there's a little bit of a scary story that goes with this, isn't there? Yeah, so crazily, that, that's nearly 100 years ago now, yeah. uh, give yeah. or take. And But my memory as a child of oh, hearing about Tutankhamun and the, the, this picture, you know, we all know what the sarcophagus looks like, roughly. It's just a curse, and that scared me senseless at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and isn't it the case that quite a lot of people who were involved in opening that uh, burial chamber up actually died in quite mysterious circumstances shortly after? 
Quite. And they're still making documentaries about it. People are still writing yeah. about it because, yeah. A, they don't have the answers to what happened. Is it a curse? Is it just bad luck? Is it just coincidences and so on? Um, but, you know, people being you know, people, is just find the whole thing very intriguing, but also because it's linked to this idea of um, should they or should they not have opened, you know, the chamber? Should they have left it to a, the Egyptians yeah. to begin with? Should they have um, been more respectful? So it's all it's it's, a, it's almost a combination of mysticism as well as obviously archaeology and history. Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, the opening of the tomb and the mystery that surrounds it has probably inspired countless. Hollywood films, you know, the Mummy, perhaps, and and all of the uh, Egyptian-themed films can probably trace their roots back to this event. It's fascinating that particular part of the world, you know, the whole thing by the spirit, the pyramids and the Sphinx and so on. I mean, you and I can even imagine in our own kind of theatre of the mind, you know, the music that usually goes with it. Um, you're right. I, I think the, the Mummy with Brendan Fraser and um, Rachel Weisz is still one of my favourite kind of guilty pleasures. Yeah, and and the guy who played the mummy, the bald guy, I can't remember his <laughs> name. Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He was superb, wasn't he? And talk, talking about films and video, I can't believe that YouTube has been around since 2005. I would have said it was later, but obviously YouTube is now such um, a keystone of the social media digital landscape, isn't it? I mean, so many people use YouTube as a platform for hosting their videos. Some people have made careers out of becoming video hosts. I mean, there are some people out there who have millions and millions and millions of followers and earn all their money purely from the advertising revenue of putting videos up there. And, and no, no wonder that Google paid such a lot of money for it, even back then. Goodness knows what it must be worth now. What's interesting is the, um, I think there's two co-founders, but one of them recorded the video 2005 with a 30-second video uh, entitled Me at the Zoo. And, yeah. and you can tell the gentleman is just finding it all awkward, you know, it's way, way before what people could do nowadays. And the aspiration actually was for YouTube to be a dating type site where you would record yeah. video by yourself and find, obviously, a life partner. And then they changed their minds. So they had a bit of a eventful story because for a while it was all about cats dogs and skateboarding accidents but uh, it's now <laughs> moved on to frankly its arrival to the likes of netflix and and many more you and i for work all of us can find amazing training courses you can find the ted talks if you have a, a question how to you go on youtube and you have the answer i had to do a, a, some minor diy job and you you know how to well that i'm not at all you know very practical but I could follow step by step some guy from America just telling me, you know, yeah. how to do to do the job. Uh, yeah, and you're right; it created a whole entire industry. Yeah, I mean, again, we've I, I follow quite a lot of people on YouTube. Some people are photographers. Some people are travel um, bloggers. Um, I even follow people who go to walk around theme parks and ride on roller coasters. You know, there's so many different things you can do. But yeah, yesterday, believe it or not, the, uh, the remote control for our television broke. Um, and it wasn't the fact that the battery was a run out it there was something wrong with it and we go we put it put the search term into youtube and lo and behold we actually found a video and there's a genuine fault with this make of tv that we got a fix to solve it purely by searching it on youtube so it just goes to show what an amazing resource 
YouTube is. And I guess that just reminds us once again the debt that we owe to the geniuses behind a lot of this technology that we now take for granted and that's why it's always good to celebrate these things that happened back in history sometimes only 15 years ago but in the case of howard carter nearly a hundred years so pascal shall we move on and actually celebrate some creators in our own networks let's move on to creator shout outs So, Pascal, who are you talking about this week? Oh, I've got a big surprise for you and our viewers and listeners. Somebody that I discovered by accident doing research for the movie we're going to talk about very, very soon. I want to celebrate the work of Bettina Sharik and her team. She's a president and founder of Hollywood in Pixels. Now, you could be asking me, what is Hollywood in Pixels? Well, it is a charitable and educational organization that is there to ensure that Hollywood digital campaigns, Roger, are recovered and preserved, but also that the campaigns of today and tomorrow are not lost to time. So they are on this mission. Bettina Shirik works as as a marketer. It's been her career. She's she's passionate about digital. She has a team uh, of people supporting her. They also have yearly awards called the Silver um, Awards where they celebrate the work in digital of Hollywood. And if you'll allow me, I want to read for you the couple of sentences from the homepage because I think it says it all. So... It begins with, we can trace the history of the World Wide Web just from the campaigns forged by Hollywood's digital marketers. From the very first campaigns on AOL to the first websites to MySpace, Facebook, Snapchat, Hollywood as an industry has always led the way by using digital to innovate and engage fans with a tremendous number of first-to-market campaigns. However, many of the campaigns from the 90s and early 2000s have been deleted, having never been officially archived or celebrated as the work was not recognized for the historical value they now have. Cute music. I mean, it's like the beginning of like um, a documentary or a movie. So Bettina Sherrick is on this mission to use, you know, the history, but also the present and the future to make sure that we can look back, we can learn, we can be inspired. And I would, I'd be very frank with you. I got so excited because I think there's a kinship with what we're trying to do at our very modest level with film marketing, which is to look back to learn and educate. So I hope you don't mind, but um, if Bettina Sherrick is not listening to this podcast, which I fully understand she's a very busy president, founder, and marketer, I will actually get in touch on behalf of the show, Roger, and see if she could be a, um, a guest, maybe. That sounds like a great idea. That's a great idea. And isn't it isn't it a shame that that we don't have the foresight to save some of the stuff from the past. It's a bit like the BBC wiping episodes of Doctor Who and wiping episodes of Dad's Army, because at the time they just thought, we'll never need to show them again. You know, they didn't predict the world we live in now where people absolutely would love to consume old content like that. And it's the same as the shame that people are deleting campaigns because we can all learn from things that have gone before. How many times you and I have kind of said, oh, the website's no longer online? Or how many times have we said, oh, they stopped using the Facebook page, it's no longer there? Yeah. Because, you know, a, it's information that we're missing out on for film marketing, but also I think it would be fascinating to know. Um, interestingly, you could argue that print media has probably survived longer than the digital stuff. 
Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So my shout out this week is for a gentleman called Scott Johnson. Now, I've met Scott quite a few times at uh, events across Scotland. He's he's a speaker. He's a trainer. Um, he specializes in, in teaching people sales gravitas, I guess, and presentation skills as well, and, and, and all sorts of other things. I think his background is that he is a lawyer. In fact, he describes himself as the escaping lawyer, as probably presumably escaping from, from uh, law work into marketing, sales, etc., etc. And the reason I'm giving him a shout out today is because he posted a little post on LinkedIn yesterday, which just gave a remarkably beautifully simple tip about how to think on your feet. So imagine you were at a presentation or you were asked suddenly to step in for somebody and you didn't really have much time to research the topic or you were just put on the spot in that instance. And sometimes, you know, some people would just freeze like a rabbit in a headlight and, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? And he just, he just put this simple tip, three ideas quickly as to how you can think on your feet and create ideas and stories and it's probably something that a lot of people do automatically pascal but then there are a lot of other people who who don't do it so this is what i liked about this was it was putting a remarkably useful idea in a, such a simple way so that people like me who probably do do it can now articulate it but also people who don't do it can now see oh actually i can really get my head around that and it will help me the next time I see it. So I'm going to put the link to Scott Johnson's post on LinkedIn in the show notes. So do please check it out. It's it's a really simple tip, gloriously simple, but the next time you put on the spot, if you remember it, you will absolutely be in the spotlight rather than on the spot. Yeah. And do you know what I love about this? Two things. We always talk about personal branding and things that is memorable and so on, but something that I also invites you to tell the story. I think the term escaping lawyer is so intriguing that you would feel compelled yeah. to ask, what do you mean and what, what's the background behind this? Then yeah. on, the, on the other side is the reason why this segment is, is important is because we all need to find inspiration elsewhere. I mean, we, we have become very self-reliant and, and very resourceful because of the keyboard and access to the interweb as sometimes like to call it in jest but ultimately being in the company of others where possible uh, face to face but if you can't you know by watching or replay or reading and like that's been compiled by them is very very important and after the better part of two years where networking has been very very limited if not completely uh, removed we we are still in a position where we can learn be encouraged to reflect you know you could read this and then go for a walk and think about you know what you would in that situation so people like yeah. Scott Johnson and many others I've been mentioned in this segment of Creative Shoutouts are very, very important for your growth as a professional. Absolutely right. So Scott, Bettina, thank you so much for your inspiration. Pascal, we're here. We're ready to talk about this week's film. And I absolutely cannot wait to get stuck into this. So without further ado, here we are. Film marketing. It's a film about retro video games. It's also a comedy. It's also a fighting, save the earth type, action-packed blockbuster film. It's Pixels. And Pascal, let's just get into that trailer and give it a little watch.
30 years ago, NASA launched a time capsule into space in hopes of contacting extraterrestrial life. I believe that some alien life force sent down video games to attack us. That makes sense. We've never faced a threat like this before. We need video game expertise. Sam Brenner, Pac-Man World Champion. What's up? Ludlow Lamonsoff, Master of Centipede. Also known as your worst nightmare! Eddie Plant, King of Donkey Kong. Is this for real? The only way to take down Pac-Man is with ghosts. You want ghosts? These are your ghosts. Let's hit it! Oh. <laughs> Don't tell anybody I killed the Smurf. If we don't, the world ends. We have to take the battle to them. Donkey Kong. One game you suck at. May I introduce to you the creator of Pac-Man? Professor Watani, what are you doing? I will talk to him. He's my son. Hello, my sweet little boy. Look how big you've grown. It's so sweet. He's so sweet. You're a good boy. I'm I'm utterly blown away. I'm utterly blown away. Now I have to I have to say to everybody. When Pascal and I were talking earlier in the week about which film should we do in the film marketing section today, you suggested this film called Pixels. And I have to admit, I have never heard of this film. Never even seen any of the posters, never seen the trailer, never even heard of it ref referred to anywhere on social media or anything. So it was a t complete and utter new thing for me. And as always, Last night, the night before we were recording, we sat down to watch this film. Now, within two seconds of the film starting, I heard the drum beat for one of my favourite 80s hits, um, Surrender by Cheap Trick coming in. So I was almost up on my feet straight away before the film had even begun, punching the air, because it's a, it's a song that's really important to our family. And within minutes, I was sucked into this tale of 80s retro video games so as a child of the 80s who spent so much time and so much money on saint anne's pier and on blackpool pleasure beach playing defender and pac-man and missile command and robotron and joust and space invaders and asteroids this film is an absolute joy for me and i'm still bouncing around thinking about how great it is in fact i might go and watch it again this afternoon it just made me laugh made me almost made me cry with happiness seeing some of these memories come to life on the screen so to be clear you enjoyed it then 
Yes, I did. <laughs> just in case, just in case, I wasn't convincing enough there. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's on the top shelf. You know, in terms of this kind of joyous, guilty pleasure-filled movies, alongside School of Rock and all, all the others. But where this movie is, is unique and different is because if indeed you were a child of the 80s or even if you were a parent with children in the 80s, because, you know, I, I need to ask you, do you sometimes wonder why the 80s is truly capturing people's imagination more than any other decade? Even people are not around because people are seeking out retro again. They, are, they want to buy LPs. People are fighting over themselves on eBay to buy kind of converse shoes that are even damaged. They want to, you know, know what's happening then. And movies after movies being produced today go back to the 80s. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of music, clothes, hairstyles. Just There was just a look and feel to the 80s and pro- perhaps a, a, feel, a feeling of optimism and uh, everything as well, wasn't it? And, and this film just captures so much of that. Um, and... You know, admittedly, Pascal, if you look on the Internet Movie Database, it, it, it gets rubbish reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, I think, gives it 18%, which is lousy. Um, so maybe, you know, just because you and I are definitely ch- children of the 80s and we did spend so much of our time growing up playing these games, we are the absolute and utter target market for this film. And you could almost argue, because this is a film marketing section of the show, that they absolutely got their targeting right. That's why I'm jumping up and down for joy seeing this film. And this is why you, and you said to me before, that you watch it at least once a year because it brings so much joy. So we are the target market. Maybe the people who gave it the bad reviews on IMDb aren't the target market, but that is a lesson that marketers can take away from this. And for me, it just shows that the critics, you know, they only, they have their use, but it's limited because if you can't even, as a film critic, we suggest therefore that you have an interest in industry, if you can even understand that this is about a clear product with a clear audience in mind, with a clear objective, which is to entertain families in the summer of 2015 yeah. and beyond, then what is your contribution as a film critic? Because if you look at the measure of um, the, the reaction of the fans, even today we're talking about it and there's... Um, videos on YouTube galore, reviewing it and praising it. People have spent, as we'll see in a moment in marketing, frame by frame to study the film, to spot, you know, the retro games. But then financially, yeah. this movie made a fortune. Yeah, yeah. And, and and a stellar cast. I mean, it was it was directed by Chris Columbus. Mm. Um, Adam Sandler is the main character in it. Now, I have to say again, Pascal, Adam Sandler is not my favorite actor stroke comedian. Sometimes I think he's way over the top. And sometimes, you know, he irritates me to the point where I, you know, I've actually stopped watching films that he's been in. But in this one, I think he he's, he's a little bit more subdued, but very funny. Absolutely nails it. Peter Dinklage, who a lot of people will remember as Tyrion Lannister in The Game of Thrones, absolutely nails every scene that he's in, and his comic timing is just utterly priceless. Michelle Monaghan, who, uh, again, we recognise from uh, playing... 
Tom Cruise's wife in the, the Mission Impossible films. Great character. Brian Cox is in there. And Sean Bean, my goodness. I mean, I he, he has only a couple of scenes, but every word that comes out of his mouth, I was just rolling around laughing with his delivery. Um, and there was even a lady called Jane Krakowski in it who we were sit, sat there for a few minutes thinking, who's this lady? We've seen her before, but she was starred in a, in a series called Ali McBeal many, many years ago, which was a, which was a film about a law firm. So a great cast as well. What I like about this film, or, or those, this type of film, and Chris Columbus knows what he's doing, you've got really a, a silly story. You know, the, I think it's, um, it starts in the trailer when he talks about in 1982, NASA sent the time capsules with information, <laughs> including video games. It was intended as a um, message of peace. Unfortunately, the aliens took it the wrong way and are sending retro games to attack the Earth uh, as a form of uh, self-preservation. And I like about it, you've got this silly premise, but then... They respect all the story structure and filmmaking rules of Hero Journey, Rax to Riches, yeah. a Redemption for the character Peter Dunklage. You've got the music that is almost akin to a proper, forgive me, Hollywood blockbusters, and all this kind of just acquisition of genre where Brian Cox and, and Sean Bean, who are kind of stellar actors, create, you know, have characters that are really quite silly. And then really you've got Adam Sandler who said to his mates, Kevin James, Josh Gad and all the others, do you want to have, do you want to have fun for a few yeah. months and um, make a movie, which is really there to entertain people. Well, I didn't know, and, and sorry, Roger, is that this was inspired, because I thought maybe it's born out of a book, because you and I have done the reviews like this, where there's a book, maybe it was original. Actually, this was inspired by an experimentation by a French filmmaker. They did a short film in 2010, where for, I think it's only like six minutes, but you have the city of New York, I believe it is, and you have pixels, um, pixelated characters from retro games who are kind of floating around. So Patrick Jean was his name, was the uh, original kind of spark for the idea. This was done three years after Wreck-It Ralph, which has elements mm -hmm. of retro game. And, you know, three years after, should I say, Wreck-It Ralph, and three years before Ready Player One. And the timing was impeccable. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, we could probably talk about the film itself, <laughs> the story, the plot, the special effects, the acting, the music for the rest of the day, but we do need to focus in on the marketing. Now, for people who uh, um, listen to and watch the show, Pascal and I share each week doing the research for the marketing, and this week Pascal's done the research for this segment of the show. And when I looked at the um, online Word document, I couldn't believe how much stuff you found, Pascal. There's so much information about the marketing campaigns that went to back up this film so i don't know where to start you'll have to tell me where of we're course yeah start. and i'd like yeah. to think that um, in terms of research and access to information which is primarily online this is a kind of thing that bettina sharik from hollywood in pixels would be very very keen to preserve because my life was made easier because the content was still available but this yeah. movie was filmed in 2014 and we had to wait as fans till December to get some teaser posters being published on, on the social media. And what they done, mm. you know, was very funny. They introduced the elements of the different video games, but also its video game, as in the, the pixelated monstrous size video games, were attacking different cities around the world. So you could have fun to recognize the game and also the city. And in my case, Donkey Kong was attacking Paris. Uh, and whilst <laughs> London was attacked by um, Centipede, also called Mushroom Mania. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Pac-Man is in San Francisco, and it yeah. looks like Galaxians are in Sydney in Australia. Absolutely beautiful imagery. 
then we move on to so that's december 2014 roger so in march there's quite a long time march 2015 the real marketing campaign begins now bear in mind that this movie was released let me check my notes in july or the summer should i say this is a yeah. short campaign I mean, this is like what, three months four months campaign yeah but we begin with a 10 seconds teaser with a strong call to action to go and visit the official website tomorrow because something's going to be revealed now sadly the website is no longer with us pixels-movie.net but people were told you know on social media tomorrow at this address there's going to be something very special and that special thing was the first trailer yeah and again for anybody like us a child of the 80s you couldn't you couldn't fail to be sucked in by that trailer the teasing the fact that it reveals the pixels of the games that you grew up with it, it, it you just oh i want to see this film now <laughs> i have to say the special effects were exceptional i mean mm. it didn't look you know cheesy or rushed whatever i mean even when the, the the characters from different video games exploded you had literally three-dimensional pixels just you know, kind of on the ground and people were tripping on them and everything yeah and and of course at the end of the trailer they tried to get people to the social media sites didn't yep. they so it was facebook twitter instagram there was a pixels movie tumblr um page as well even snapchat although maybe the snapchat was a bit of a bit of an afterthought perhaps and and they, they also gave people games to download of course so not oh of course you would have to wouldn't you now one of the um, games in the film is about a female heroine called lady lisa which i assume was made up for the film i can't remember a video game with lady lisa in it but dojo quest you could actually download it and play it so a day literally 24 hours after the the trailer was released of course the media the bloggers the youtubers and more literally went frame by frame to spot the uh, <laughs> video games so i mean just to mention one of thousands who did that was ign.com so it's back to the mm. marketing roger a clear product a clear audience clear channels ign a specialist in in games and movies they spotted 13 video games and asking you to you know go on their website to check them out but also have you spotted more so there was a whole kind of um you know, the sub level of marketing going on with the, with the, with the audience and the fans. Yeah, I mean that that is just I love things like that. You know, Thirteen video game references you may have missed in the Pixels trailer, and then just imagine how many you actually see when you see. I mean, there was one joyous moment um, during the battle towards the end of the film, and it was only on the screen for maybe two or three seconds, but in the background, I spotted. Missile Command, you know, I missiles know. going up and explode. I mean, oh, I, I actually shouted out to Trisha, oh, look, that's Missile Command. You know, I'm spotting all of these great games in the background. Can I just say that I was utterly rubbish at Missile Command? I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it had a great big ball, didn't it? Yeah. You had to roll the ball and fire the buttons, and I could never get the ball. I guess it was a, a an early version of the mouse, wasn't it? But obviously it would probably be easier to play it with a mouse these days if you if you could get it on your computer. I would imagine so. So if you look at the chronology again, Roger, so in May 2015, then, of course, TV, uh, media, and radio coverage is in full screen swings, should I say, with guest appearances. And we were lucky in the UK to have Josh Gad, who was on yeah. Good Morning Britain talking about pixels and I'm sure really, really getting the audience to get excited about the movie that was only now two months through three months away. 
Yeah, and then there was there was music released in June. Mm-hmm. The second trailer came out in in June as well, and then the final poster, which again is absolutely joyous for me. The final poster came out um, the nineteenth of June, two thousand and fifteen, and again it features Pac Man. There are space invaders in there, Donkey Kong, some Galaxians higher up in the in. And it, it again it sums, and there may be a feel of Ghostbusters about it to me as well. Maybe that was deliberate or. I would say so. I would say so because they were playing to, you know, about Ghostbusters. We reviewed it on Film Marketing 1984, if memory serves. Of course, you're going to play to that. And then one thing that um, I thought was really impressive for the time, they really lent on YouTube with um, numerous featurettes behind the scenes. They even had a GoPro special where they put the GoPro on like cars and cranes and so on. She would get almost like a different POV of what they were doing. So yeah. that, that went on till, till the launch. And then as part of the research, Roger, I had to give myself uh, boundaries <laughs> because honestly, it was like opening Pandora's box. So to begin with, I thought I would only study up to the launch date because post-launch, <laughs> there was tons happening. And I'm also going to look at social media, but only Facebook because what I will say, and this is a praise, you know, I, I want to congratulate the marketers. When you look at Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and the others, they all do different things. So what I mean to mm. say, Roger, it's not a copy and paste jobby. They've looked at different uh, platforms for different audiences and so on. But in terms of things they've done, of course, they've attended gaming events. Yeah. Yeah. And competitions, local cinemas, in addition to those conventions. So you had to, you know, so when they went to the gaming events like San Diego Comic-Con, which you and I need to go one day, and many others, they literally brought with them the old-fashioned 80s arcade games. So they had the position yeah. into the lobby or the gaming games and local cinema. And you, what you had to do, of course, take part in the games, which were branded Pixels the movie. But if you took a picture of yourself with the hashtag Pixels Arcade, then you could win, guess what, Roger? Pixels sunglasses looking very, very 80s, I would say. Absolutely, I'm. I'm just, just love those ar- those old arcade cabinets. Were just so again so eighties. But I mean, some people have them in their houses, I don't know. they? It's like pinball machines and arcade cabinets. They're just and some of the artwork on some of those retro games was absolutely beautiful. So we moved on from you know essentially PR and marketing of being present where it matters in terms of the audience, but then you can go online as well. So what they did was to sponsor gamers to compete on Twitch with uh, via retro games, and they had kind of uh, different runs, um, including a lady called Miss Rage, and they were <laughs> battling each other with eighties arcade styles. Bear in mind that the gamers on Twitch were not born in the eighties and were discovering the game for the first time. Yeah, and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of partnering with brands as well, Pascal, wasn't there? Um, we've we've got some fabulous posters here from the likes of Little Chef, but they were also working with Sony, O2, um, Kick Energy, Southern Fried Chicken, lots and lots of different uh, lots of different brand involvement all of whom were offering some sort of competition some sort of prize again with the beautiful artwork from the movie often using pac-man you know pac-man eating associating with the little chef brand i think it's quite interesting there you go there to eat there you there you've got the got the link and all over social media each of the characters got their own 
character profiles on social media. There's some amazing photographs of, <laughs> of Peter Dinklage and his character, Eddie Plant, both the young version from the 80s and the, the, the version from the present day. Uh, and again, I say Peter absolutely stole the show for me. But again, the social media images were really striking and it, in, in keeping with the image of the, the film. Absolutely. So, like I said, with the purpose of um, time as much as anything else, we only looked at Facebook, but, you know, the Twitter campaign, Instagram campaign was great. So each character got their profile, but also what they did actually was interesting. They went back to the character with different different executions and different graphics. But this one that made me laugh was you saw, obviously, the character of Eddie Plant as a teenager winning the yeah. competition, or did he? And that I'll leave yeah. people to watch the film to find out. And, of course, now as an adult um, asked to, to join Adam Sandler the others to save the earth but it's still the same kind of individual who is arrogant uh self you know uh, whatever and how of course has a nickname of the fire blaster because you can play <laughs> video game faster than anybody else then on social media as um it was snippet there was a very very good countdown to the premiere and every time there was a post with a different message you know one month prepared to battle it out in the biggest game yet and he was just counting down the different things you know they would and they even listed as you've done a moment ago the games pac-man donkey kong centipede Gilga, all your favorite yeah. arcade games in one place so the sense of of excitement in that countdown was great and you had all, all the visuals to go with it yeah, I mean, we were praising a couple of weeks ago, weren't we, the um, the social media campaign that went with the Scream 5 film. Yeah. Um, arguably, this is even, this social media campaign was even more impressive than that. For I'm, me, I, I'm genuinely surprised I never saw any of this, Pascal. <laughs> that. <laughs> for me, it was clearly the evidence of a team that used, um, they were inventive, they it was very diverse because sometimes you know we and I've, I've reviewed films and we've praised them and we're very happy with them but i will say it's repetitive it's the same thing just you know repeated but everything that we're listing is different there was even some um, graphics using a bit of an 80s film which was playing to the nostalgia of people of our era reminding everyone <laughs> about the rules remember when you used to walk in the arcade and there was always obviously an older okay. teenager having to look at uh, and there was things like if i used to play pinball machines i used to love them and the rules was you couldn't kind of shake it and trying to and um, trying to avoid losing your, your ball. There was no swearing. You couldn't run. You got all those kind of uh, so they, they did that. But the one that got my attention, I want you to take part in, Roger, is your arcade game generator. So the team yes. at Six was in marketing. Of course, when you leave your score behind, you remember the days when you did a high score. And you could yeah. leave your name behind. People try and beat you. Yeah. Almost you know, way way before social media and Wordle. So, according to the teams at Pixels, arcade name generator is as follow: would be the second le second letter of your first name and your last name. So, let's have a look at the list. So, the second letter of your first name is O. Outrageous! So, you are outrageous, Edwards. If you were to have the high score on Miss Missile Command, <laughs> <laughs> this is there's so much amazing stuff here, Pascal. So much amazing stuff. Genuinely, if you're a child of the 80s and you've not seen this film, and like me, you've never heard of it before, you are going to have an absolute blast watching it. But here's the deal. If you aren't a child of the 80s, if you aren't a gaming fan, don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to those people who gave it rubbish reviews. It's a genuinely 90 minutes of pure nostalgia. It's funny and it's real 
quality entertainment and i can't recommend it highly enough absolutely just one thing before we wrap up on film marketing um do go on social media and literally spend time to scroll up and down and you'll see executions and and things you kind of go how can i use that in my business but just before we go roger i would like to take play take part in the game you'll find it on on um twitter as well as on facebook it's called pin the mullet so <laughs> what you have <laughs> is a video of the character of played by um you know peter dinkley which still has the best lines and, and the, the best kind of um you know scenes and you have a video of his mullet essentially going from left to right across the screen and you've got to <laughs> pose the video just in time to basically make the mullet match you know the back of his head I did it in five goes, five attempts for me to pin the mullet on, you know, fire blaster. So over to you to see if you can do better. I shall try and beat you. And if I do beat you, I shall put my name in outrageous Edwards into the score tally. Wow. What an episode of Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast. Absolute pleasure, as always, to sit and talk to you, Pascal, about our favourite subjects of marketing and films. Thank you, everybody, for watching the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. And do please leave us your comments. Get in touch. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know which films you'd like us to talk about. And if you've got any tech that you want us to cover, let us know about that as well. Any content that you would like us to review we would be absolutely delighted to hear from you until the next episode please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni Mm -hmm.